Listen, if you're worried about the possible tornadoes, I want to remind you, this, this sucker here, we're, we are, we're barricaded in. This thing's been standing since 1922, okay? This is the safest part of the church right here. So you guys, you guys are in a good place. Uh, hey, we're in Luke chapter 15. If uh, you want to open up your Bibles, uh, we recommend you do that since it's uh, time to study the Bible. Uh, so uh, if, you, if, you, if you don't have a physical one, that's fine. Open it up on your phone. Uh, Luke chapter 15. We're going to do something a little different this morning. Uh, we are going to study the entire chapter. Uh, so we're, we're covering all of Luke 15 uh, today. No, that's not because uh, I, I said we're going to finish uh, in August. Uh, we're doing all of Luke 15 today because though there are three parables and though traditionally we have split those up, all three of these are taught on one occasion um, and, and they're taught by Jesus on one occasion. And, and unless you have the three of them together, you really miss the heart of the gospel. And, and I think this morning what you're going to see is we, we might have just left off uh, an entire section of, of the audience that Jesus is really trying to reach out to. And uh, I, I hope and pray that you'll see that with me this morning. Also, if you got a bulletin when you came in, um, there are some sermon notes, a little yellow sheet of paper will help you follow along. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to jump in with both feet, okay? Father, um, you are good. You are good. And uh, in fact, you're, you're much better than we deserve. Lord, many of us came through the doors today, and some of us are struggling. We're kind of feeling like one of the sons in our text today may be coming into your presence just saying, I know I'm not worthy of being a child. Would you just make me a servant? And yet you meet us. You met us before we ever walked through the doors. You were looking for us a long way off and you've run to us and you've said, no, you are my son, you are my daughter. You are fully restored. What a great God you are. Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice that made all this possible. And Holy Spirit, I invite you now to come and to take your proper place as our teacher and our God. Teach us from the inside out the ways of Jesus. Make us, mold us, change us into his image for the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I, uh, I'm terrible. I hate it. And I, it's gotten worse as I've gotten older. I have a great propensity these days to lose things. And, and I, 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 I mean, it's bad. It, it's so bad that I'm aware of it, uh, especially keys. I'm aware of it. And I, I, I actually put hooks by the back door to have a designated place for the keys to be. And yet I still can't seem to put them in their designated place. And so what happens it's time to go somewhere, and I go to look in the designated place for the thing that's supposed to be hanging there. I can't find it, and, and, and what do you think then commences? The, the, oh, call the wife. I wish. She, she can't keep up with my stuff. It's all over the place, right? And, and so then the search has to commence. Now, here's the thing. Usually, we're not all having to leave at the same time, and, and we both have two sets of keys to every vehicle we own. My wife has every set of keys to everything in the church that I need, but that's not good enough for me. I can't just leave the house not knowing where that lost thing is. I've got to stop and find it. So if I'm ever late to your home... I want you to know it's not because I'm disrespecting you or not because I don't love you. It's because I'm not good at leaving 
lost things lost. There's something within me that says, I've, I've got to stop. I've got to, I've got to put on hold everything else that's going on, and I've got to find this, or it's just going to drive me crazy. I bet you guys can sympathize with that, can't you? You guys can sympathize with that, can't you? And you know why we can sympathize with that? Because I believe that is the very heart of God beating inside of us. I believe that's one of those communicable attributes of God that we received when he chose to make us in his image is this desire to not leave lost things lost. And so this morning we're going to jump into the book of Luke chapter 15 and I think we're going to see the very heart of God on display and we're going to see why it's so hard for you to leave with your second set of keys instead of finding the lost set of keys that that need to be found. And so I want to invite you in. I'm in Luke 15, starting in verse 1. Uh, and it says this in verse 1 and 2. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. Here's the occasion of this teaching. Now, we're going to cover all three parables, and, and, and here's the occasion. You remember last week, uh, Luke was talking about the cost of following Christ, and, and our banner statement last week was, was pretty simple. It's that salvation is the free gift of God that will cost you everything. And, and, and that was the heart of what Jesus was saying to the people. Like, if you want to follow me, I'm, I'm going to the cross, folks. It's going to demand your life. You're, you're going to have to pick up a cross. You're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to follow me, right? All these things are required. You, he talked about hating your father and mother. And, of course, he didn't mean hate, but he just meant I'm not even first place. I've got to be your life, not just first place. I have to be your life. I have to be your heartbeat. Otherwise, you're not going to walk to Calvary. It's never going to happen. And so we talked about the cost of following Christ. Now listen, Jesus ended that discourse with a famous line. He says it in other places. He says, he who has ears, let him hear. And I want you to see what Luke is doing. Now Luke is showing us exactly who of Jesus' day had ears. I want you to see who has drawn close to listen carefully to every word of Christ. It is the tax collectors and it is the sinners. And, and, and it causes a great problem within the, the guts of the Pharisees. It's not within their hearts. It's not within their mind. Their stomachs are churning because the, the tax collectors, the worst of the worst, are drawing near to Jesus and hanging on his every word. And so they begin to mutter. They begin to complain. And here is their complaint. This man is a friend of sinners. I don't know what title for God you cling to the most, but this should probably rocket up the charts. Jesus, the friend of sinners. And from that point on, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, launches into three sets of teachings. Now, three parables, all about lost things and all about God's response in God's heart. So the first story he tells is about a shepherd. And he says, I suppose uh, there's a shepherd that has a hundred sheep. That's a lot of sheep, by the way, I'm just saying, right? He says, there's a there's hundred sheep and one of them becomes lost. Now, will he not leave the 99 behind in the, in the safe, open country and go out searching after the one lost sheep? He says, and when he finds him, there'll be great rejoicing. He'll pick that sheep up and place it over his shoulders and, and, and he'll go back home. He'll carry 
the lost sheep home. And when he gets there, he's going to call. He says, will he not call all of his friends and all of his family and say, hey, come and rejoice with me. Let's have a party for I have found my lost sheep. And Jesus says, I tell you, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one lost sinner that repents than 99 of the righteous. It's a great story. We'll talk about it in a second. Then he launches into a second story without even explaining the first, really. He says, suppose there was a woman that had 10 coins. She lost one of them. Now, that makes no sense to us, but Palestinian kind of custom, oftentimes at a wedding, you would receive 10 coins at your wedding. Ladies, how important was your wedding day to you? Guys, it was important to us too, but that was after the vows, right? That was the part we remember. Everything that happened, the women remember. They remember the invitations. They remember the gifts. They remember whether rice was thrown or if bubbles were blown. They remember how the table settings were. Every part of it, it's important. I want you to see that one of these 10 coins is of great value to this woman. And Jesus says, suppose that that she's lost one of the coins that she's received from as a gift from her wedding. Will she not tear the house apart? He says, she'll certainly light a lamp and and, and she's going to take it into every dark uh, place, into every corner. And you can imagine, friends, where money would fall into cracks and crevices, into places that you can't reach and clean all the time. And yet here she is on her hands and knees in the dirtiest of the dirty places, searching diligently for this lost coin. And he says, and surely when she finds it, will she not call all of her friends and her family and say, come and rejoice with me for I have found that lost coin that I was looking for. Let's have a party. And Jesus says, I tell you, there will be great celebrating in the presence of the angels of God every time, every time one sinner repents. And then Jesus tells this story. Now we've gone from a hundred sheep to ten coins. Let us now talk about two sons. I'm in Luke 15, verse 11. If you'd like to follow along, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. It's basically saying, Father, you're dead to me. I want my inheritance uh, now, now I, I'll tell you, the younger son, there's only two sons. Uh, the, the tradition is always that the oldest son gets uh, a double portion. And so the oldest son would have received two-thirds of the inheritance, and this younger son uh, gets a third. So at this moment, to give the son the third, I want you to understand, just, just, just get what's going on. The, the, the father actually had to divide up all of his property at this moment. You're going to see that later. He's going to say uh, to his oldest son, everything that I have is yours. That's because he's had to do the dividing already, okay? So just just follow with me. Uh, Father, give me my share of the estate. You're dead to me, he's saying. So he divided up his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need, so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Nothing worse for a good Jewish boy. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. That's pig slop, folks. It's not pretty. But no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses... 
He said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And, and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. And I want you to see how out of context this is for a man that's distinguished. A young boy might run, might hike up his tunic and run. A, a woman may hike up her, her dress and run. But a man would never hike up and show his bare legs and run. And yet I want you to see the heart of the father. He doesn't care. He sees his son a long way off. He hikes up his tunic. He runs to him. He throws his arms around him and he kisses him. Now the son's been preparing his speech, remember? The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now the rest of the speech is, please make me like one of your hired men. I'll just be a servant, right? I'm just going to work my way up to servitude. The father cuts him off, verse 22, but the father cuts him off, says to his servants, quick, Bring the best robe and put it on. That's, that's the father's robe, by the way. That's the best robe in the house. Go, go get my robe and, and throw it on him. And then put a ring on his finger and sandals on it. Probably a signet ring, by the way, saying you're, you're fully back. Put a ring on, on his finger and put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf. By the way, that is the best meat available it was only used for extremely special occasions. And, and it means that the party that is about to happen was not just for the family and the servants. If you were to slay the fattened calf, you would invite the entire town. I want you to see the feast that's happening with the father here. Okay. And, and so for the son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. And so they began to celebrate the whole town celebrating this lost son that has returned. Verse 25, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked him, What on earth is going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. So this, the older son knows this is a big party. That a lot of expense is going into this. The older brother became angry. And refused to go in. So his father went out to him. And pleaded with him. But he answered his father. Look. All these years I have been slaving for you. And I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat. So I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours. Who has squandered your property with prostitutes. Comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Literally, I've <laughs> divided it all up. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I've got four things I want you to see out of Luke 15. Now I'm talking about the entire chapter. Not just one parable, but how the three of them meld together. The first thing I want you to understand is that we are really good at getting lost. 
We are really good at getting lost, my friends. We are experts, and that is part of what Jesus wants us to see, right? Three parables, three lost things. The first thing is, is, is a sheep. And, and uh, you know, when Jesus says, I'm, I'm the good shepherd and, and, and you are my sheep, right? That's not a compliment. Sheep are probably the dumbest animals on the face of the earth. Uh, go, go Google the AP poll, 1,500 sheep jump off a cliff in Turkey. I think it was 2005. A Turkish shepherd sat down for breakfast. One sheep walked over to a cliff and jumped off. <laughs> 1,500 others followed him, every single one. 450 sheep lost their lives on that tragic day. The rest of them survived because the pile of sheep was so big and fluffy that they just hit and rolled off. I lie to you not. Can you imagine? It's not a compliment. Sheep are dumb animals. Friends, we, we are prone to wander. We're, we're not the, the sharpest knife. And you still think, man all the way down, right? I know, I know, it's hilarious. It's hard to get over. That's who we are, friends. We're good at it. We're good at getting lost. And he says, and imagine a coin. I don't know about you. If there was one thing in my house that I lose on a constant basis other than my keys, it's all of my change. My kids are rich because they dig through the couch, right? I mean, think about it. You, you, we, we went to Tulsa over, over spring break, and, uh, and, and we, you know, there's tolls there that you actually have to physically pay. Uh, they don't have the Texas tag doesn't work in Oklahoma, evidently. And so you pull over, and I hit one, and I throw all my change in, and it shorts me a, a dime. And I'm like, where's the dime? All I had to do was reach down in between the seats. There's some down here. Coins, they're round, right? They have this bad habit. When they hit the ground, what do they do? They roll away into places that you can't reach and you can't see. Really good at getting lost. And the second thing that Jesus talks about is two sons. Sons, plural. See, I want you to understand that what our Bible has labeled for, for years and years and years, that little subheading, the parable of the lost son, it's actually wrong. Two sons were lost. One of them just didn't know it. We are really good at getting lost. Let me explain what I mean by both sons being lost. Both sons wanted the father's stuff. They wanted his things, but neither of them wanted the father. They, 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 they went about trying to get the father's stuff in different ways, of course, but, but their hearts were, were pretty similar. See, that, that's the heart of what sin is, by the way. Sin's not just breaking the rules. That's how we have a tendency to define it. But sin is actually wanting to be in control. It's wanting to have all of the things of God without having God himself. That's the heart of sin. When we try to get God's things through the wrong methods, that means avoiding him, that's sin. That means we're lost. See, one son, uh, the younger, did this through what we would call rebellion. The older son sought to do it through obedience. The older son's attitude, it's, it's laid bare in verse 28 and 29. Look, the older brother became angry. At the party. He refused to go in. So his father went out to him and pleaded with him. And listen to this son's heart. Verse 29. But he answered the father. Look. All these years I have been slaving for you. Notice his attitude. This isn't an attitude of sonship. This is an attitude of, of, of slaveship. He says I've been slaving for you. He doesn't view himself as a son. He just views this as a paycheck. 
I have been slaving for you, he says. And, and he's he, following me. He said, all these years I've been slaving for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders. Get this, yet you have never given me even a goat. You've never given me any of your stuff, he declares. He is as far away from the father as the young son, even though his proximity is much closer. Both sons are lost. The scary part here, friends, is that it is not rebellion that has caused the rift between him and his father, but it is his obedience and his pride in his own performance. I've never disobeyed you. I want you to see he is far away from the father too. We've got to start here, friends. Both sons wanted their father's wealth instead of the father himself. Jesus is saying there are two ways to get lost. It's not just about open rebellion to God. It's not just about breaking his rules. You can be lost by trying to keep them diligently too. Let the gravity of that sink in. Tax collectors and Pharisees. It's who the parables were intended for. And that is still who the parables are meant for. Tax collectors and Pharisees. Number two, I want you to understand this morning that regardless of which group you identify with, you are of great value to God and he seeks you out diligently. You are of great value to God and he seeks you out diligently. Please hear this, this message today. I, I pray maybe if, if you get nothing else that this is the one that comes in loud and clear. You matter to God. You matter to God. You, you, you may walk through the doors and, 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 you, and you had that question. You, you felt all alone. You felt like nobody sees you, that nobody knows what's going on in your life. But God does. He sees you. He knows you. And you matter to him. You are important to him. I want you to find yourself here in, in this chapter, in Luke 15. I want you to find yourself. I, I, I want you to understand that you are the sheep that God has, has left the rest of the flock. He's seeking diligently just after the one. He's left the 99 in, in a safe place to seek after you. I want you to see yourself in the passage that, that you are the coin. And, and, and God has lit the lamp and he is searching high and low in every nook, in every cranny, in the dirtiest of places he is he is looking out for you i want you to see that you're one of the two sons either the one that has rebelled and chosen to do it all his own way yet the father is seeking he's looking he's waiting or you're the one that has tried through obedience to force his hand to get his stuff and still to you this father comes out and searches for your heart. Find yourself in the parables today. Find yourself in the chapter and don't miss the Father's heart for you. Some people have struggled to understand why on earth a shepherd would leave 99 sheep and just seek after one. A lot of our, our, our thought process today says that you have to do what's best for the masses, doesn't it? That's how we govern. Let's do what's best for everyone. Don't worry about the individual. And yet Jesus says, no, the individual is infinitely more important. Because we're eternal, right? Therefore, the individual must always come first. 
And, and, and so I want, I want you to see the heart. By the way, if you're one of those people that has struggled with that, I'd just say you probably have never had multiple kids, right? Because if you ever have more than one child, you've probably lost one at one time. Right? Nothing like the department store when they think it's so funny to go hide under those stupid circular clothes. I don't know who made circular clothes racks, but there's a special place for them in parental hell. All the racks. I, I, it's happened to us on multiple occasions. We had one kid that decided uh, he thought it was so funny not just to hide, but then to finally, for the first time in his life, be quiet. Right? And the dread that breaks into your heart as you begin to seek and stay. And, and when you're a, uh, the only parent there with, with those children and you can't find the other one, you know what you do? You put those other children in a safe place, maybe even grab a clerk and say, watch these kids. And you run through the store screaming at the top of your lungs looking for your child. I want you to see that as a reflection of the very heart of God. That is a reflection of the very heart of God. And, and God himself is willing to leave those in a safe location and look after those that are lost. That, that is the point of the first two parables, by the way. The first two parables, parable one and parable two, the sheep and the coin, is, is that God is diligently seeking after the lost. Now, here's a question. Who's doing the searching in parable three? If you notice, there's actually nobody out actively looking for the lost son in parable 3. We now believe that Jesus did this on purpose. And, and here was his purpose in that. We actually believe that his purpose in that, remember, there is one group of people that are hanging on his every word. And that group of people are the, the tax collectors. Uh, the, the tax collectors and the sinners are, are drawn in close. And they're hanging on his every word. And, and we now believe that Jesus' intent in telling three stories where two people are searching, but there's no one looking in the third, was so that the audience would go, wait a second, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, teacher. Who's looking for the lost boy? Wait, wait, wait. So a shepherd goes out and looks for the sheep and, and a woman lights a lamp and she looks in every crack and crevice for a lost coin. But who's looking for, for this valuable life, for this child? Who's out looking? Who's out searching for him? Is the question that Jesus intends them to ask. Whose responsibility is it to search for the younger brother? Of course, the Pharisees knew the answer to that question. It's the older brother's responsibility. You remember the story of Cain and Abel? It's a story the Pharisees knew all too well. Cain says to God, am I my brother's keeper? God's response was basically, yeah. The older brother is the younger brother's keeper, Cain. See, here's, here's what Tim Keller says should have happened in this passage says, the older brother should have said to the father, my brother has been a fool and his life is in ruins, but I am going to go and to search for him and I am going to bring him home. And father, if he has wasted his inheritance, which I believe he has, I will bring him back home and back into this family at my own expense. Because everything the father has now belongs to the son, of course. I want you to see this. Jesus is our true older brother. He diligently seeks us out. 
bringing us back home, bringing us back into the family at his own expense because we are of great value to God. If you're here today and you can hear my voice, just know that God has an infinite amount of love for you. You may not feel that way, but that is the truth. God loves you infinitely. You are valuable to him. Number three, I want you to see in these passages, in in, in this chapter, in these three parables, that God rejoices over the salvation of every single lost person, despite the cost. God rejoices over the salvation of every single lost person, despite the cost. Three parables, three parties. (laughs) See that? Three parables, three parties. The shepherd finds the sheep, brings him home, calls all of his friends and all of his family and says, hey, let's have a party. Let's celebrate. For I found my lost sheep. The woman finds her coin, her, 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 her extremely valuable wedding gift, the one that was missing, and, and she locates it. And what does she do? She calls her friends and she calls her family and she says, come on over. We're going to have a party. We're going to have a party. The father finds his son, is returned. And what does he do? He throws a feast. He, he slaughters the fattened calf. He invites the entire town. Goes to great expense. He has a party. He has a party. But I want you to see this. Uh, verse 24. All right? Verse 24. This is what he says. He says, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. It says, so they began to celebrate. But this is what I want you to see about this celebration. That celebration was not just for the younger son. The father sees the elder son, who's throwing a fit, by the way. I, I, I just want you to just fathom with me, right? The father who has lost his youngest son, who's been hurting, who's been mourning, who probably has thought his son is dead. That's what he says. He says he was dead, but now he is alive. This father who everything has been returned to him now, right? There's not just lost, but my dead son is now alive. He has been found. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him my robe, right? I'm going to give him my ring. I'm going to probably put my sandals on his feet, Okay, he's back in the family and, and, and the most prized possession our family has, they didn't eat meat often. The, the fattened calf, we're going to invite the entire village. So this is a big uh, tada. And I want you to imagine as the villagers are walking in, all of the friends and all of the neighbors and even the not so distant neighbors that heard there's a free meal. I want you to see the haughty, prideful son with his arms crossed outside the gates. Back turned to the house. Pouting. What dishonor it must have brought on the father. The father had every right to come out and to deal with him. And if a son were to act that way, he could have actually said to him, that's it, you're selfish, you're out of here, you've got nothing. But he doesn't. Look at the heart of the father and how he deals with the prideful son He comes out to him and he begs him to come in. He loves him deeply. Get this, all of this, all of it is a picture of God's love for us. God has sought you out at a great cost. 
the, the, the very life of his one and only son, Jesus, who came to earth, God in the flesh. He stepped out of heaven and into humanity. He stepped out of perfection and into pain. He who had all authority and heaven and earth made himself nothing and humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, to bring you back into the family at his own expense. God's response to the prodigal son, by the way, the word prodigal uh, means recklessly extravagant. God's response to the recklessly extravagant spending of the prodigal son is to recklessly extravagantly cover him in grace. And it is the exact same response he has for the prideful, pouting older brother. Reckless, extravagant grace. That is the heart of the gospel. God's response, anger? No. Joy. God rejoices every time a lost sinner repents. No matter how much it cost him personally. Number four, last one and we'll be done. I want you to see that as a church, I don't mean as, as just a body, this body of believers. I mean as the church, as the church... We must always maintain the heart of our loving father. Okay? Two sons. One pursued fulfillment through what we call self-discovery. Right? I want to be in charge. I'm going to call my shots. I'm going to go out. And he wasted all in wild living. The second son pursued fulfillment through moral conformity. If I'm good enough, I'll get all his stuff. Didn't want the father's heart, just wanted the father's stuff. Both were lost. One son had a long list of sins that he knew he had committed. So long that eventually he came to his senses, it said. The other son, equally lost, had a very short list. I wonder, which son do you think it was harder to come to his senses? Which son do you think knew he needed saving? Which son felt like he had already been good enough? Yet, the father, extravagant grace for both. The father loved them both. He invited them both in. Jesus was a friend to sinners, which, by the way, and we better be as a church. And I'm just going to be honest with you, church folks. I, I'm not trying to burst your little bubble of how perfect life is. And I know you're like, it's not, not perfect. I've had a divorce in my family. Yeah, but when you really get to the heart of the gospel, it's like the Jerry Springer show. I'm being honest with you. This is a messy world. I spent my weekend knee deep in some mess because we're trying to love somebody right now as a church. And it is messy. And I, I, I found myself... Uh, upon multiple occasions going, I just can't believe this situation and how broken it is. You better put on your boots, my friends, because this world is really, really broken and they need the love of Christ. They don't need the judgmental older brother. We've got to have the heart of God. We've got to be a friend of sinners, but, but God didn't just have a heart for the younger brother. He also had a heart 
for the older brother, who, by the way, is the Pharisees. It's the people that thought that if they could just have the right set of morals, that God would have to bless them. I read this week, you know, it it wasn't the rebellion that caused the rift between them and God. One scholar said it was their damnable goodness. Was. They didn't even see a need. But God also invited the Pharisees, the moralistic that looked down on others. Listen, I don't know if you identify with the younger brother or the older brother. Which one are you? You guys can think through that. What I do know is that we would love for this place to be your home. These parables are all about coming home. I I know the Father's heart is that he wants you to come home, but I also know this, friends. The Bible says that there is one place on earth that is meant to be a picture of home, and that is the local church. Now listen, if you come here, I'm going to be honest. We're going to remind you sometimes that what you're living for and, 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 and starving after, sometimes we're going to remind you that it's just a bunch of pig slop. But we're also going to remind you that no matter how much you're striving to be perfect, God is never going to love you more than he does this very moment. There's nothing you can do to make him love you any more or any less than, than right now. I, I don't know if you're the younger or you're the older, but I, I, I do know the invitation is the same. We want to invite you to come home. So let me give you some application. I'll be quiet. Number one, uh, first and foremost, you need to identify your inclination. We all have an inclination. Either you're the younger brother and your inclination is towards re- rebellion, right? And that, that's the way you seek self-fulfillment. Or you're the older brother and, 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 and your inclination is toward moralistic conformity. And, and you honestly, listen, down deep, if that's you, hear me. There is a part of you that thinks if I'm good enough, God has to bless me. And that, that part of you has to die on the cross, just like, just like all the sins of the younger brother. These, all, all these things have to be brought to the cross. And so I, I just want to challenge you. I, identify your inclination, and here's why. It's important we do this because um, whichever way you're inclined, we have a tendency to slip back into that inclination uh, at, at times, right? So if, if you were saved and you were the wanderer, you believe it or not, you may still have a tendency uh, to, to, to go astray. If you're the one that was saved out of, out of being the Pharisee, uh, you better watch it because legalism is going to slip into your walk with Christ. And you say, Pastor, I don't, I don't know which one I am. Well, let me give you a quick little test. I called it the older brother test. Ready? All right. If you struggle with these things, you're probably the older brother. That's probably who you identify with. If you struggle with anger and bitterness at others' blessings... Anger and bitterness at others' blessings, you're probably the older brother. If you struggle with a sense of superiority over others, you probably have the older brother's syndrome. If you keep track of others' wrongs, you're probably the older brother. You remember that's what the older brother does with his dad. He reminds his dad of everything wrong that the younger brother had done. (laughs) Look at me. Here I am, superior I've had perfect obedience. I've slaved for you. And yet this younger, bro- this younger son of yours, he doesn't say my brother, this son of yours has gone off and he's, he's spent all his money on wild living in prostitutes. He like brought up everything he'd done wrong. Love keeps no record of wrongs. If you are highly offended by other people, you might have older brother syndrome. And finally, if you view 
your relationship with God as joyless slavery, you might be the older brother. You might be the older brother. Okay? Identify who you are in the parable. Two, turn from whatever inclination you have to Jesus. Right? Whether you are the younger or you are the older, whichever your struggle is, turn from that struggle and turn to Jesus, right? And I'm going to be honest. I, I, I honestly believe it's easier for the younger brother. I think it's easier for the person with the long list of sins that knows what a great sinner they are and sees like, oh my gosh, I've wrecked everything. Well, that, that person needs to turn to Jesus. Absolutely. But so does the person that has tried to live their whole life with, with great morals, right? Through moralistic conformity that said, I'm going to be good enough and God's going to have to bless me. By the way, that person um, typically is pretty miserable in life because they have this broken, messed up mentality that says, if I obey, God will have to bless me. And then we live in this broken world where we don't always see that blessing. And so we live in, live in constant anger with God, feeling like we've been shortchanged. But the answer for both is the same. Turn to Jesus. He is the true older brother that has come searching for you. To save you. He is the one that comes to both kinds of people. Lastly, I just share this. Just from my heart, I pray that you would consider feasting with us. It's the saddest part. By the way, we don't know how the story ends. You notice that? Jesus didn't fill in the blank. He didn't talk about whether or not the older brother responds. I think it's beautiful because so often we have drawn conclusions about the Pharisees that none of the Pharisees ever repented. And yet here I want you to see the heart of God. He still has hope for the older brother. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? He still has hope that he's going to enter and he's going to feast with the Father. Um, Listen, there's nothing on earth quite like the peace of heaven called the church when the church is right. Nothing. Some of you haven't had a place to feast and to celebrate with anyone else. You've been trying to do it on your own and you are weary and you are tired and I can sense it every time I greet you. Would you come... And just join. listen, we are completely unperfect. Like we, are, we are a mess. But we are a slice of the glorious, extravagant grace of our Father in heaven. And we would love to feast with you. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for loving us. We give you this time. We give you ourselves. I pray that you do great work here in our midst just in the next couple of minutes. That's what we need. We need to hear from you. We need you to step out of heaven and into our hearts right now. And to bring us home. Some in this room have been traveling long distances away from you. And they know it in their hearts. They knew it the moment that they saw we were preaching through Luke 15. They said, oh gosh, here it comes. Because they know that they're the prodigal son. They know that they're in a phase of life where they are wandering. And God, this morning, I pray that you would show them just how far they've wandered, that you would show them that the things they're settling for really are slop compared to the feast that is at your table. But God, for some here, maybe they have been the judgmental older brother 
with the superiority complex, honestly feeling like they are good enough for you, who is perfect and pure and righteous. No one is good enough for you, God. Would you take our prideful, arrogant hearts and break them this morning? Show us our deep need for you, Jesus. We ask for that in your holy and precious name. Father, finally, for my Christian brothers and sisters that have been wandering without a home, I pray today that maybe they would just come and feast with us. Please. Let us be uh, a picture of who you are and what a party it can be to be a part of your family. In Jesus' name, I ask these things. Amen.